0: A cool Canadian history. I'm your host, David Boris. On the 20th of June 1942, the Japanese submarine I 26 attacked the Estevan Lighthouse on the Heskiap Peninsula. This attack Was the first direct attack on Canadian soil since 1871. And while this proved to be an extremely minor incident in Canada's war, it is nonetheless a fascinating moment in Canadian history, where an obscure yet important lighthouse became the target of the Japanese Empire. This is Season 7, Episode 8 Ring the Alarm The Japanese Attack. On Canada's West Coast. We have two book recommendations today. The first one is titled Guiding Lights BC's Lighthouses and Their Keepers by Lynn Tannod and Chris Jacksa. As well, the other recommendation is the official history of the Royal Canadian Navy in the Second World War. This is titled, No Higher Purpose. It's written by W.A.B. Douglas, Roger Sarty, and Michael Whitby. And this provides an excellent account of the Royal Canadian Naval activities on Canada's west coast, along with the attack on the Estevan Lighthouse itself. So, before we get to the action... The first question is what is and where is the Estevan Lighthouse? Well, the lighthouse is located on the headland of the Heskiat Peninsula on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Basically, it's the westernmost point of the peninsula which is part of the Heskiat Peninsula Provincial Park which is itself the westernmost part of the ancient Clayoquot Sound. The Heskiat Peninsula is part of the traditional territory of the Nicanoth First Nations, and is in fact named after the Heskiat people, who are one of nearly a dozen tribes making up the Nicanoth Nation. The area was first explored by a European back in 1774, a Spanish explorer by the name of Juan Perez, who originally named the headland Punta San Esteban, In 1778, James Cook arrived, and he renamed it Breaker's Point. The headland received a final name change in 1848 when maps started to identify it as Estevan Point. Now, what's interesting is this isn't actually the first time we've encountered this region on the show. Several seasons back, we did an expose on Cougar Annie. She moved to Heskiette Bay with her husband in 1915. Now, several years before Cougar Annie ever arrived, however, the Estevan Lighthouse was built. Construction on this famed lighthouse was started in 1908, it was completed in 1909, and the lighthouse started functioning in 1910. It was actually part of a series of lighthouses constructed up and down the west coast of Vancouver Island that were approved in the aftermath of the 1906 sinking of the Valencia. This was uh, covered back in a Cool Canadian History episode many seasons ago. The lighthouse was designed by famed Canadian lighthouse designer William P. Anderson. It stands at 102 feet tall and was built in a classical octagonal design supported by eight flying buttresses. According to many sources, the design of the lighthouse is considered one of the finest lighthouse designs in the modern world. Along with the lighthouse were dwellings for the lighthouse keeper, a fog alarm building, and a wireless telegraph station. In fact, its extended position along the west coast and its effective telegraph station made it one of the most important coastal communication points in the North Pacific. And now, let's introduce the Japanese submarine I 26. I 26 had been a scourge of the Pacific Ocean since the outbreak of hostilities in 1941. The I-boat was commanded by Commander Yokata Minoru and had been actively patrolling the Pacific since she first sank the U.S. Army freighter SS Cynthia Olson while the American freighter traveled from Tacoma to Honolulu. This sinking, in fact, occurred on the 7th of December 1941, a day that has, of course, lived on in infamy. I-26 was also involved against combat vessels later in the war, it damaged the USS Saratoga with a torpedo hit in August 42. And during the Battle of Guadalcanal, I 26 hit the damaged cruiser USS Juno with a torpedo that ultimately sent the American vessel to the bottom of the ocean. Now, as part of the preparatory moves for Japanese operations against Midway and the Aleutian Islands, the Japanese fleet deployed over 20 submarines on reconnaissance missions along the coasts of the United States and Canada. The two vessels picked to specifically focus on the Pacific Northwest were I-25 and I-26. These were large, Yunsen type B-fleet submarines known as I-boats. They sailed south from the Aleutian Island chain in the early spring of 1942. The two I-boats were ordered not to enter the Strait of Juan de Fuca, so they took up position just outside of it. And on the afternoon of the 7th of June, I-26 sighted the 3,300-ton Army Transport SS Coast Trader and sunk it with one torpedo shot. Now, despite the ship going down, only one sailor was lost, and the rest of the crew, floating on life rafts, were rescued within two days. On the 19th of June, a Canadian-built freighter, the Fort Camison, was on its maiden voyage carrying lumber from Vancouver to England when it was torpedoed by I-25. The crew abandoned ship, and while the Camison was heavily damaged, it managed to remain afloat while the crew was rescued in their lifeboats. Now, while this was going on, I-26 had been quietly remaining submerged since its attack on the SS Coast Trader. I-26 certainly had other opportunities to attack shipping in the Pacific Northwest, but chose to remain silent, biding its time and hunting its prey. Now, It was not uncommon for Japanese I-boats to shell shore installations, especially once they left their main patrol areas. Early on the 20th of June, I-26 came up to periscope depth and started moving slowly up Vancouver Island's west coast as it studied the various approaches and scouted the coastline. Commander Yokata saw that Estevan Point, with its 102 foot lighthouse, and the nearby fishing hamlet, Heskiette Harbor, were undefended, and Yokata thus decided to attack the frankly meaningless target, meaningless militarily speaking. At approximately 1800 hours, Yokata's I boat surfaced. One of the residents of Hesquiat was on the beach at that time and saw the i-boat surface, and she says, and I quote, Something came up out of the water. It came up just like a whale, only it didn't make splashes. It came up near the buoy and slowly went down again. It stayed up about nearly five minutes. I was very excited. It had a long top on it, something like a ship. I ran to get my son, but when we looked again... It was gone. Now, the I-boat was also spotted a second time, this time surfacing later that evening, and it was spotted by an American fishing vessel, which actually approached the I-boat before it submerged once again. But for some reason, none of these sightings were ever reported to the military authorities. Sometime just after 2,200 hours... I-26 surfaced once again, and this time it surfaced with a violent purpose. It was roughly two miles from the Estevan Point Lighthouse when it opened fire with its 5.5-inch deck gun. Now, Commander Yokata recalled the event in a post-war interview, and I quote from him, "'It was evening when I shelled the area with about 17 shots. Because of the dark, our gun crew had difficulty in making the shots effective.' At first, the shells were way too short, not reaching the shore. I remember vividly my telling them, raise the gun, raise the gun, to shoot at a higher angle. Then the shells went too far over the community, into the hills behind. Even out at sea, we could hear the pigs squealing as the shells exploded. Now, Lightkeeper R.M. Lally watched all of this unfold from his vantage point at the top of the Estevan lighthouse. When the first shots were fired, he scampered down the spiral staircase to warn his wife. Then he returned back up to douse the light. Lucky for him, I-26's gunners seemed to be woefully inept at their task, as the final few shots sailed harmlessly beyond the lighthouse into the hills. Nonetheless, a scary moment for the lightkeeper. Now, as mentioned before, There was a wireless station positioned at Estevan Point as well, and when the shelling occurred, the wireless operators were in the middle of a card game. Now Edward Redford, who was holding a good hand apparently, was the man in charge of the station, and he quickly sent out a call that an enemy boat was shelling the station. Within 30 minutes, two anti-sub aircraft were in the air patrolling the coast, and various vessels of the Fishermen's Reserve, a sort of coastal patrol auxiliary, began heading towards the action. However, the aircraft patrolling found no sign of the I-boat, and most of the vessels arrived many hours later, and despite searching the area, found no traces of the submarine. After the shelling... I-26 submerged and began its long journey home via the Aleutian Islands farther north. Now, the attack certainly brought the war home to many along the west coast, and the media reported on it widely. However, one of the larger strategic aims of this attack was to draw more Royal Canadian Navy ships into the area to protect BC's west coast. This strategic objective failed. The Navy did not consider this a substantial enough threat to reallocate resources to protecting Canada's west coast. Commander Yokata eventually gave up command of I-26 and in fact survived the war. I-26, however, did not. It was sunk in late October 1944. The Estevan Lighthouse still stands, And even now, its light shines a strong and powerful beacon for any ship's friend or foe sailing towards the beauty and freedom of the Canadian West Coast. And folks, I just wanted to send a personal message. This is the last episode of 2021 before we go into the holiday break. Now, do not fear. Season 7 will continue In 2022 with our first episode coming out in early january but before that i just wanted to wish you all a happy holidays and a happy new year this past year has been chaos to say the least and i have no doubt that many of you have felt the strain and pressure of the chaos that seems to be ever present around us i hope for all of you that 2022 starts off on a stronger, more positive, more healthy footing. And I wish you all the best for the holiday season and for everything to come. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter at DocBoris. That's at B-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in and stay cool.